You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
Houndsman XP listeners, we are closing in on a, a historic date for the future of our country. We're coming up on the November 8th midterm elections, and there's probably never been a more important election to be involved with, to be informed on the issues about than this upcoming midterm election. Our freedoms depend on it. I've got Teresa McMahon on the podcast this week. She's with Protect the Harvest. You can find them by Googling Protect the Harvest. They're going to pop up. And we're going to talk about the upcoming election, what is on the line, how Protect the Harvest is stepping up to expose the truth be some of the behind some of these agendas. And um, this isn't a Republican-Democrat type controversy. This is a big government type issue. It's a global issue. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with hound hunting? To put it simply, if we start losing even more freedoms, all we are going to have to tell is the stories about the old days when we could hunt. I'm telling you, the threats are real. It's coming on a global scale. Protect the Harvest has been tracking and fighting and trying to keep people aware of what this global initiative is to restrict our food uh, securities. It's a matter of our national security, and it's important that you know what is going on. I know from watching your news feeds on social media that plenty of you are concerned, and some of us are even fearful that if we do not resolve this peacefully under the democratic system that has worked for over two centuries and set aside a country of free people, it very well could mean the end of the republic as we know it. As it stands now in the United States, we still have the ability to control the future of our nation. And through the information that we're going to talk about here on Protect the Harvest, you're going to understand where we're headed, and some of the things that you're hearing are going to be very well explained, and some of the terms you're seeing in the national media, you're going to have a better understanding of when you come out on the other side. We're going to talk about um, Green New Deal. We're going to talk about the American prairie reform or restoration that's going on that's got the hunting community divided, but it's because we don't fully understand it, and we need to. We need to understand all these issues. More importantly, we need to know where we can find friends and allies to secure this freedom. And Protect the Harvest is one of those organizations that we need to know, we need to support. When mountain lion hunting came under attack in Colorado this past year, we got through that because we banded together with the farmers and ranchers of Colorado houndsmen, trappers, we all came together and we defeated that issue. We saw historical defeats for the animal extremists all across the country because we knew who our allies were, we banded together and we stood up against it. Don't miss this episode. You're going to want to hear what Teresa has to say. They've got a, a campaign going on right now, counting day, down the days to our election and you need to know what's going on. If you haven't registered to vote, do it today. And 
be informed about who you're voting for. When you dig deep, you're going to be surprised. It doesn't necessarily go along the lines of red and blue, Republican and Democrat. It's time, folks. There's no more time to waste. Our hound hunting community is very diverse. A few months ago, we dropped a post on our social media page wanting to see our ranchers and farmers in our community. We've got hundreds of thousands of people who make their living off the land and Protect the Harvest is an organization that we should all know and we should all support. I'm not going to waste any more time. I want to get right down to it. It's time to get the tailgate down and dump the box. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. All right, so we've got, uh, on this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are rejoined by uh, Teresa McMahon of Protect the Harvest. And um, our goal for the podcast is to bring more information about Protect the Harvest, uh, what you guys are doing over there, Teresa, and raise awareness in our community to make sure that that we know the things, because the battles that you're fighting, because um, a lot of times the players are the same for the anti-hunting community and the agenda is definitely the same. Very much and, uh, uh, so I think it's important that we know who our friends are out there and we try to bring you on and, and let, pe- let people, uh, keep current and up to date on what's going on over there. Because I know that, that as a hound hunting community, we can't stand alone and, the ranching community uh, is is struggling as well, so we both need all the friends we can get. So, how you been, Teresa? I've been great. Uh, the country has not. <laughs> That's on the unfortunate <laughs> part. Um, is this going to uh, be a doom and gloom? Well, it's it's. I'll, I'll say this: it's job security for both of us. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I wouldn't say it's doom and gloom. There, there's always a solution, and you always have to talk about the solution. Um, because otherwise you just get off the call and we'd be just depressed. So I, I um, think that is so important to, to yeah. talk about solutions. Don't just talk about the problem. I get tired of seeing the problem. Like, you know, I know what the problems are and, and it takes 10 seconds to write, write a post on social media about the problem. I want to hear solutions. So, yeah. The only yeah. problem is the people that don't know about the problems, which is why we're talking. So there are yeah. a million problems out there. Uh, unfortunately, and it can be very overwhelming to an average person to try to hear all this at once, but they have to start somewhere so they can get to those solutions. So Agreed. Yeah, for sure. So what you guys been up to? It's been about a year since you've been on the podcast. 
And um, um, I think the last time we talked, we were heavily discussing the Happy the Elephant uh, court case that was going on in New York. Yeah. And we ended up winning that case. So I know some of your listeners may not know about this. Uh, it was a, a court case to give an elephant habeas corpus, which is pretty much a human right um, to protect against false imprisonment. And our side won. So I'm sure hunters and people of your listeners are wondering why in the world does it matter if an elephant gets this exactly. right? Um, yeah. what it does is it sets precedent. So mm -hmm. it's any animal in captivity. So as soon as you give that elephant rights, you're looking at giving, you know, high fence deer hunting, <laughs> you know, does that right. deer get the rights of, uh, a human Good. because they're in captivity, right? Or does your right. hunting dog get the right? There you go. Right. So it's, yeah. it's all across the board. As soon as you set precedent with one species, it can move over to another. Right. So that's the right. biggest one we've had this past year. Um, so, so the breakdown on that was there was a group try, suing that this elephant should have the same rights mm -hmm. as you and I do. Yeah, that's the non-human rights project. And they've actually won quite a few cases across the world, um, but they have not managed to get any wins on uh, human rights to animals in the United States as of yet. Now, I'm not going to... They constantly bring this stuff up and bring cases to the front. Um, so at some point they may get in front of a judge that, you know, wants to go along with what they have to say. That's the unfortunate thing. So that's why we need to get to those solutions and understand how people can stop this. Who is, who is they? Uh, we say they, Oh yeah. who are the, who are the groups <laughs> that were leading the charge on some of this? Uh, they, they are the people that want to tell you what to eat. They're the people yeah. that want to tell you you can't use a, a diesel tractor or um, that you shouldn't be hunting or you shouldn't own a dog. Um, They're the people that don't want don't want you to have freedom. That's a nice way mm -hmm. of saying it. Um, most of they are the animal rights organizations and environmentalist extremist organizations. So when you think of uh, PETA, Humane Society of the United States, the ASPCA, um, groups like the Center for Biological Diversity. I'm glad um, you hit on that one. Yeah, some other environmentalist groups that Mountain Lion Foundation, we could throw, Sierra Club. Yep, yeah. we could throw hundreds of them out there, but they're all they're all in the general same club and all have the same mindset, which is, you know, average person is bad. They don't know what they're doing. They're harming the environment. They're harming animals, and we are the ones with the we can fix this. We'll just tell everybody what to do, tell everybody right. you can't eat meat, you can't hunt, you know, you can't drive a car. You can't you own a dog. It. Yeah. 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 They look, they look at, um, animals are not property. They akin animal ownership and animal husbandry to slavery. Yes. You know, I mean, you go on and on and on. Yeah. Meat that's is murder. always been kind of their MO. Uh, most people have seen that and said, they don't really believe that. Well, the reality is more and more of that is actually coming out now with these court cases. And they're actually openly stating, yes, it's, we believe this is slavery. Um, you shouldn't own any animal. And I think, I think this new generation of disciples are the ones that have heard the propaganda long enough mm -hmm. that they've actually adopted that paradigm that, that it's true. Yeah. I don't think the original founders, 
there might have been a couple, you know, people in that organization that, that believed that. But when it really came down to it back in the early 70s, you had a few hippies out there that, that yeah. uh, you know, pushed the agenda. And now it's gotten to the point that, that uh, the message has trickled down to the new generation that have taken up the mantra that are the foot soldiers for these organizations. Um, now, now they're, they're really believing it. I mean, you see some wild and crazy stuff mm -hmm. out there. Uh, well, and worse is now it's almost as if the animal rights groups and the environmentalists are almost meshing into one cohesive, uh, movement. So it's not just, you don't need to own an animal. It's well, your carbon footprint yeah. is going to hurt those animals. So right. They're adopting a lot of the same beliefs on both sides. And, you know, well, that means you shouldn't be driving a car. That mm -hmm. means you shouldn't be using electricity. That means, right. you know, if you want to keep following it down the line, it ends up with a class of people that are in extreme poverty and then a class of people that get to tell the other people what to do. And that's, that is what has always bothered me about the animal rights extremist environmental movement is the people sitting at the top of this pyramid, they're living on big bank accounts. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they don't live, they don't live like they want you and I to live. You know, yeah. they, they are living high on the hog. They've got extra vacation homes and, and jets and I mean, big, big time bank accounts. Yeah. And those jets are filled with leather seats mm -hmm. and, you know, but you as a person can't go out and hunt a deer, feed your family. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's complete well, hypocrisy. How do we how do how do we as a community? You talked about the environmental community and the animal rights community. Uh, I hate to even call them animal rights, animal extremist community mm -hmm. um, that um, are meshing together, and and that is why every hunter needs to know what's going on with your organization and we build this, we need to mesh our resources together too. Yeah. There's a lot, I'll say there's a lot of small organizations on the side of hunters, farmers, pet owners, um, and some very large organizations, but we all seem to be separate. We're all mm -hmm. working towards bits and pieces of the, the solution. Um, but the problem is everybody wants credit. Like, well, here's this group. We've got this solution and we're the only ones with the solution. Right. And give us the money. So this is why I protect the harvest. Obviously, we're a nonprofit. We run on public funding. But we're willing to work with any groups that want to be part of the solution. Um, mm -hmm. So we've been pushing pretty hard right now to get people to get involved in what's going on in Montana with United Property Owners of Montana, with the American Prairie Reserve. Um, oh, man. Yeah. That's going to be, a, we're going to have to save a whole segment of the podcast yeah. for that one. We won't just brush over that. Yeah. Um, so. That's like, a, I think there's a lot of people within the outdoor industry that are backing uh, what's going on out there with the American Prairie Reserve, now known as American Prairie. And I, I want to dedicate some time to that and, and maybe peel back the layers and find out if we're being duped, if it's a Trojan horse type initiative, mm -hmm. you know, what, what we're really dealing with there. So that, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a Pandora's box because the group looks very nice and clean and 
proper on the outside. They oh, know yeah. exactly what to say. But when you get let's, down to let's, it, yeah. Let's roll into the first thing I want to talk about because we're talking about freedom. We've only got a few, less than two months now uh, to the midterm elections mm -hmm. and a lot of gubernatorial elections in different places. Um, and you guys are running a campaign and it was 60 days. And the last time I saw it, it's 59 days. It's probably yeah. like 55 days now. Yeah. So what are you guys calling this thing and what are you doing, doing with this project? Uh, the project this is campaign. 60 days to save America is what it is. So, I mean, obviously yeah. as you get it, information each day it goes down by each day so um pretty simple math yeah. even for me yeah <laughs> so uh the problem was that we we see this issue of everyone's got politicians in their area these politicians they know how to talk they mm -hmm. have perfected how to get money how to speak to people how to tell people what they want and the average person doesn't look behind that, that the curtain, the curtain pretty much is what it is. And yeah. what is this person actually voting for when they get into office? What do they actually believe? Um, you know, if somebody says, well, I've got an award from an HSUS as the HSUS uh, legislature award. What does that mean? Oh, they just must love dogs and cats. Right. Um, so each day we are providing information that's going out on social media and to all of our um, newsletter subscribers of an issue that we feel is absolutely something they need to know before they go to the voting box. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's an environmental issue, whether that's a property rights issue, um, a group, you know, information about politicians that are involved in animal rights, extremism, um, you name it. Stuff that is absolutely something they need to know before they go and vote. Because these politicians are in every single state, in every single district, whether people want to admit it, you know, want to know it or not. They may even be voting for these people and not know it. Um, you know, most of your followers and listeners are probably fully aware of groups like HSUS and PETA. But are they aware of some of the groups that look to be good good organizations but are really not for hunting or fishing or animal ownership and that's that's the problem yeah they're um i call them trojan horse mm -hmm. type organizations um i'm not going to call any of them out right now but uh my closest confidants know how i feel about some of these organizations and i i think it's um it's usually attached to money it's usually attached to um, clout, power, you know, all those sorts of things. They want to be big in the yeah. space, and that takes financial um, backing. And um, um, the only reason I'm not calling them out is because there are some of these groups that do good work, but then you've really got to get down in the weeds and look and see what's really going on with them. Yes. And that's what For you're sure. trying to do with this this campaign that you're running right now. Yeah. Yeah. The how do people, how do people, uh, find the information and how do they get signed up for your newsletter? Uh, I'm signed up for the newsletter. So I see it every, you know, when stuff comes from you guys. So yeah, we, how do people get involved? And I don't want to overwhelm people. Usually we send out a monthly newsletter 
And if there's something like emergency, we need to go get involved in, um, in a state, call your congressman or whatever. Um, we'll sound it out in an emergency newsletter, you know, more than that, uh, maybe once or twice a month. Um, but this is going to be every day. So they'll get an email every day from this campaign. Um, uh -huh. So hopefully it doesn't overwhelm too many people, but it's stuff that they need to know. Um, you can go to protecttheharvest.com and there's a sign up on the, the right hand side. We are also going to be pushing this on all of our social media platforms. So we're on everything. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, um, even are you on TikTok? TikTok. We're on Clout Hub. We're on all the alternative media sources also. The only one we're not on yet is Truth Social because there is a backlog of getting organizations signed up on there. So are you on Go Wild? We are not. I'm not familiar with Go Wild. I will get you hooked up. So Go Wild is a social media platform that is dedicated to the outdoor crowd. Oh, wow. Hunters, fishermen, backcountry, you know, all this stuff. They have everything on there from, from homesteading to gardening to, to all kinds of stuff. But it's it's grassroots type people. Uh, it's a great platform. I've been on there for over a year now. It's a very positive type type platform and it's well regulated and it's not censored. So it's a great place for hunters, but it would also be a great place for for your audience and your crowd that uh, is looking for a social media space that they can talk about ranching and farming and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. The, yep. the main platforms have definitely been an issue for us with censorship. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Luttrell, they're out of Louisville, Kentucky, and they build a great platform. They're expanding. Uh, it'd be a great opportunity. Yeah, so sure. Good. Yeah, I'll get you hooked up with that. So what is the driving force be behind, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're doing this campaign towards the November 8th midterms, you know, what's the driving force? What are the things that you're trying to get the message out? What are the big ticket items? on that uh, food <laughs> that's a nice way to say <laughs> it um we all have a common uh, base and that's that you should be able to eat um some of your listeners may have been to other countries i'm sure and visited and seen some of our listeners are in other yeah. countries. yeah um you know the difference in our grocery shelves versus say mexico or you know, South Africa or somewhere in the Middle East is astounding. Uh, we are very blessed in America that we have such um, freedom to have the food we want to eat in abundance, mm -hmm. but we are slowly losing those freedoms. And the underlying reason why Forrest Lucas started Protect the Harvest was because he saw what was happening in Europe and how they were changing laws, you know, bureaucrats were getting in there and getting involved and making it so it was harder and harder for the average farmer and rancher, um, anyone that wanted to hunt or fish, you know, just putting restrictions and ordinances and you name it, that made mm -hmm. it harder and harder to eat. So when you look over there at the prices of food or any other country's prices of food, it is way higher than ours. And we're already, you know, high enough, in my opinion, for right. the people that are low income. Um, 
that's the underlying issue is trying to get people to understand that every decision they make when it comes to voting, showing up to a county commissioner meeting, showing up to even your school board meeting, you know, getting involved with your local water boards or your property rights organizations in your area, every single one of those decisions is going to play into your food security. And maybe you can afford it. Maybe you don't have an issue right now affording food, but what about the rest of your community? What about those low-income people? What about those elderly people, the widows? Mm -hmm. Those people are just barely scraping by. And when, you know, a carton of eggs goes up a dollar or two dollars, that's a huge ordeal for them. Right. Yeah, what I've seen on foreign shelves, um, I have I've done a little bit of traveling internationally, not a lot, but um, you know, you've got you've got the government controlled grocery store. Mm -hmm. So when you walk in, you've got oats, you know, they could be yeah. rolled oats, it's just oats. And they're in the choice. They're in the, you know, it's one price. If you want oats, this is what you're paying for it. Same with box cereal, same with milk, cheese, all of that sort of stuff. You know, when you don't have that variety on the shelves and you don't have that competition among brands, then somebody gets to control what you pay for it. And, and that is what you're trying to fight against. And you're seeing that in the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, all over the place. And yeah. one of the big things that's just recently happened is you've seen these, uh, these environmental social governance scores is what they're called. They're called ESG scores. And the main, let's just say groups like BlackRock and Vanguard and some of these uh -huh. large investment groups, the, the groups that own everything, right? Yeah. They are very much pushing these ESG scores as part of um, the UN Global Initiative. They okay. want a way to score every single product that you use based on how it's going to affect the environment, um, social impact, and governance. So that mm -hmm. means if you have one, let's say you have a, somebody that's producing beef over here in a regular, regular way. You got a guy over here who's producing beef and he doesn't use a feedlot. Maybe he just does grass finished. Mm -hmm. We're going to get different scores. And based on those scores, the bank is going to decide who gets a loan or not. So this is going to go trickle down to the extent of, okay, you have this type of cereal or this brand of cereal, and they're going to get different scores. And at mm -hmm. some point, the prices are going to be changing. So if it's harder for one one company to get a loan versus this company, guess what? Prices are going to have to increase. So maybe you like to go and eat Twinkies. <laughs> Let's, okay. You've been looking at my cover. The problem is those companies are going to have a worse score because that is a, you know, that's not a healthy food. That's mm -hmm. going to be something that affects society. Now versus, okay, well, maybe you can go buy organic carrots and it has a better score on it. Um, it's, it's a way of manipulating people into purchasing the things that they want people to purchase. And does, that, is that going, does that ESG score, does that apply to things like? It'll apply to everything. Petroleum companies, auto yes. manufacturers, who's producing yep. my clothes? Yep. Everything. Every single thing. Every so, single thing. 
who's setting the who's setting the standard for this ESG? That's a good question. It's just okay. made up. <laughs> it's made up by the companies that are setting the ESG scores. Are are we as individuals going to have ESG scores as well? Do you think eventually we're getting we'll get into to that? that's getting into conspiracy level stuff? But you look at there are countries that do that. So like China has a social credit score system. Okay. And that's a very it's very much the same type of system. It's based mm -hmm. on can you follow these rules? You know, have you eaten too much sugar today? Well, you can't buy any more products with sugar in it. Have you eaten right. too much meat today? You're only allowed two ounces a month. Um, now you can't have any more. So it's 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 building a system on what the UN sustainable development goals are, which is a very low meat protein diet. Um, and you know, you need to lower your carbon footprint. So I don't know if this is speculation, but at some point they'll say, you know, you can only have this much electricity. You can only have this much gas. You can only have this much sugar in your diet. You can only have this much meat in your diet. That sounds crazy. I am I'm fully aware that that sounds like conspiracy level stuff, but if you go and right. read their documents, this is what they're trying to push. They're trying to provide limitations so that everyone is 100% equal. The problem mm -hmm. is other countries, third world countries, countries that are lower than us, it may raise them to an extent, but we are at the top of the food chain as America. So what's it going to do to us? If we all have to be on an equal playing field, that means somebody's going to have to be pushed down. Mm -hmm. and it's going to be countries like us. Yeah. Yeah. Countries yeah. with freedom with you will go in the grocery store and there's 20 types of oatmeal. In other countries, there's one type of oatmeal. Right. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that a hard, I mean, isn't that a hard narrative to stick to though when we see, we look around us and we see, people that are eating too much sugar, people that have are eating too much red meat, who don't have a diverse diet, you know, how do you combat the argument uh, when the other side is saying, well, look at the heart disease rates and look at, you know, why do you, you know, I drive a, I drive a Toyota Tundra that gets 15 miles a gallon. Why aren't you drive? You know, why am I not driving a, a hybrid vehicle that, that gets 47 miles to the gallon. You know, there's things that I could do. How, how do you combat that as, as a, an organization, Teresa? And how can we combat that as individuals? It starts with information is really what it does. So it, it comes down to, do you believe that America should be free? And secondly, do you believe that we should be able to feed ourselves? Mm -hmm. Or... Do you believe that the government should be the one that is free and you are just a secondary citizen and that the government should tell you what to eat? There's, there's really, I mean, I know those seems like two extremes, but mm -hmm. that's where we're looking at. So you see a lot of push towards global governance right now. Right. And the reality is you're either an American citizen or you're a global citizen. And right now, the, the global leaders want to push us towards global citizens. Mm -hmm. The only way that works is if you give up your sovereignty. You give up some of that American freedom. Now, it may not be all of it at once, but it's it never as is. soon as you start chipping away at it, 
it you don't get it back it doesn't mm-hmm. come back so the way we see it is you should have the freedom to eat what you want to eat and yeah. you should nobody should be telling you what you can or cannot eat now if you can't afford something that's more expensive that's on you <laughs> you know if you right. can't afford to eat filet mignon six days a week then well that's your issue but should you be able to afford some sort of animal protein because it's you know highly nutritious um you should be able to afford eggs mm-hmm. you should be able to afford a gallon of milk and yeah. to do that you have to inform people where does that food actually come from who are the farmers and ranchers of america and what is affecting them how do we protect those people how do we protect farmers ranchers hunters fishermen the people that are impacting their local communities you know boiling this thing down it sounds like conspiracy theory but i want to ask every, everybody that's listening to this this question do you have county ordinances or a city ordinance that restricts you from having um, your own chickens and producing your own eggs? Uh, do you have government regulations over, like we have a small hobby farm here, and um, are you being taxed on that pig or that you're growing in the pen out back? Those are all things that we need to think about. And then we boil it down even farther to my base crowd who are hunters and fishermen and things like that. Um, the reason they're coming out of after hunting and fishing is they want, don't want us to be able to acquire our own food. They, you know, uh, that sounds conspiracy too, but it goes right along with, with the same initiatives that you're talking about right now. And uh, I don't, I don't mind using my space to raise that awareness. That's what we're here for, to raise awareness on these issues and get a big understanding of how it all ties together. And that's why I love having you on the podcast to talk about it because you give us a different perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I appreciate it because I know that we sometimes get in an echo chamber. Um, We Mm -hmm. talk to a lot of farmers and ranchers, a lot of pet owners, um, but there's definitely groups of people that we don't hit as hit as much which you know hunters and fishermen um but the same things need to be done across the board so um one of our other big pushes this year is pushing this um how to protect your lifestyle and livelihood so we made a big booklet about this to give out information it's just like a workbook pretty much um and how a person can just follow these directions get involved in local community and how that can make a difference. So whether it's, I mean, every single person that's listening right now, I know at some point spends time on Facebook or on TikTok or does, you know, has a TV that they're sitting in front of at some point during the week. Right. What is it going to take to get that person to give up one hour a month to go to a county commissioner meeting? What's it going to take for a person to give up one hour a month to go to a school board meeting. Whether you have kids in school or not, you're paying those taxes for that school. You should know Mm -hmm. what your community youth are learning. And some of this stuff is pure chaos. Um, You would never, most of the people on here would never believe the stuff that they're teaching in schools right now because it's not what they taught 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's not at all. Mm -hmm. Much different. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's water boards in most people's counties. How many people are involved in their just their local water board, their watershed? 
Mm-hmm. Those those are the groups that go and make ordinances that say, well, sorry, you shouldn't have lead ammo here because that's getting in our watershed and it's going to affect these birds and it's going to affect these fish. That's the groups that make the difference. And nobody wants to get up and get involved because they think, well, somebody else can do it. No, no, that's the problem. Nobody else will do it. And the people that will do it are your opposition. But Teresa, I made four Facebook posts last week about how I defend freedom on Facebook, you know, but they, you know, a lot of tough, uh, a lot of tough talk out there Yeah. from, uh, you know, these American patriots. No, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. It's good to do social media work. Like we have volunteers that we train. I'm just saying, follow it up. Yes. Cause those board meetings aren't happening on Facebook. Right. Um, the decisions for these ordinances and code changes are not on Facebook. They are in, you know, usually in meetings that nobody attends. City council meetings, county commissioner meetings. You know, how many people have called up their state representative just to meet them, just to say, hey, this is my name. I'm from this district. I just want to get to know you. Uh, these are the things I'm interested in. My family likes to hunt. My family likes to fish. I would just want to know how you stand on that. And yep. most of these people will have a conversation with you. Even your, you know, your local reps, your state reps, a lot of them will meet you. Hey, I want to take you out for coffee. Just yeah, tell them. I like, just, yeah. I just met mine a month ago, right before, right before, well, it's been a couple months now, right before Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, and had, had a breakfast with him and just met him and talked to him and, and um, we don't know who they are if we don't get involved. And, and they are never going to know who we are unless we make it a point. They've got constituents spread out all over their district, and they need to know your name. They, they need to know to. you. They're getting, yeah. invo- they're getting invited, I promise you, to organizations and meetings and conferences that are 100% in opposition to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they attend or not is on them, but our side isn't doing that for the most part. We're not taking them to a steak dinner and saying, oh, this is our beliefs and we want the government to be like this. And we want, you know, we really don't think you should have hunting in this area over here because it's really affecting these animals. And We just talked to... Yeah. Um... Yeah, we just had a we just talked to Brian Lim with the Sportsman's Alliance here a month mm-hmm. or so ago. And um we talked about the ammo ban that they're they're trying to push on refuges and different things right there, right now, and how that's not gonna stop just on the refuge. You yeah. know, it's gonna expand into other national or federal property, public property. It's gonna expand into state property because states always follow the federal regulations because the feds will threaten to cut off funding mm-hmm. if they don't enact these, these regulations. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's uh, constantly, how do you, how do you keep going, Teresa? How do you guys keep doing what you're doing? You know, cause we're, we're talking about some kind of dark stuff here and, and challenging people. What keeps what's, you going? What's the alternative is my question. This people ask that and I'm like, well, what's your alternative? You just give up. And just roll over and say, well, they've won. I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just eat bread. <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah, no. With my government, with my government flour and yeah. my government distributed yep. milk. 
and my uh, government distribute eggs. I don't see an option to not. I don't see an option to, to not do it. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody else should. You know, I, I'm sure some of your people are of faith that they're listening. And I don't push my religious beliefs on people. But I will say that there's something that's just been stuck in my mind for the past like six months. And it's it's that we don't war against flesh and blood. You're not here to war against your neighbor. You're here to war against principalities and powers. And it's not the individual person that we're fighting. Because everybody's mind can be changed, informed, and educated. It's mm-hmm. these ideas. It's these mindsets that, you know, you should give up your control. You should give up your meat. You should give up your private property rights for the better good. And that's not how the Bible says to live your life. And that's not how America was built on. Yes, you help your neighbor. You love your neighbor. But you should not be forced to do it. You have free will. The Bible says you have free will. America was based on free will. And if you work hard enough, you can get ahead. I won't, These I'll, I'll give, do not believe that. Yeah. I'll give you a real world example of that. Uh, we went down to do Katrina relief. And yes, I was with the government when I went. What I saw when I got there was um, when communities come together, they can be so much more effective as citizens working together than the government solutions that come in. I, I was in communities in Mississippi that were, were hit by Katrina. And what I saw was neighbors over here helping this neighbor, uh, communities coming together, neighbor, total communities that were, were being self-sufficient in their own community without any government assistance. We'd go into the, the, the community there and what do you need? We're good. We're doing good. We're doing great. And you look around and they really are. And what I was seeing from places that were depending on the government to solve their problems, it was bogged down and it was, you know, there were regulations and there were, you know, all kinds of, of things that were holding back the progress. Not to say that there wasn't a massive need for resources and things like that during Katrina. There were, but it was amazing to me. And one of the things I picked up on is how effective citizens can be when they work together Mm -hmm. and how much we really don't need government. Well, we need some, we can't just throw a baby out with the bathwater. I agree. It's not the government's job to tell you every little thing you have to do, how you can eat, how you can live, how you can use your property. That is not what the government was, was created for. So when they get involved, they are usually, it's, it's usually cost them five times as much. I'm from the government and I'm here to help through the government versus, (laughs) you know, uh, a capitalist. Yeah. So the, a person's free will to help their community, everyone should want to do that. Yeah. But if the government comes in and holds a gun to your head and says, you have to help the community, nobody wants to do it because they just exactly. obviously want to buck the system and say, you can't tell me what to do. 
When yeah. you're dealing with Americans, you can't sit here and say, you have to do this. Right. It has to be, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I love my community and I want to do this. And the government's trying to say, you have to do this. You have to reduce your carbon. You have to reduce your meat consumption. You have to stop, you know, fishing. You have to stop hunting. You have to stop farming. You have to stop ranching. Um, you're going to tick people off when you do that. And now you yeah. have a huge portion of this country that's just losing their mind because they have all these issues that they see and they see no solution. Yeah. There are solutions. The problem is the solutions are not easy. The solutions are not, I'm going to post on Facebook. Let's, let's spend a couple minutes here just breaking down some real solutions to this problem because I personally feel like we're sitting on a powder keg right now mm, Yeah, in our country. So. And, um, I think that we are one um, one event away from some major consequences in our country, and we don't want to see that at all. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some real-world solutions uh, for our listeners. You already went over a few, but let's, let's lay them out on bullet points real, sure. real clearly. Uh, a starting place is just getting involved in your community. Mm-hmm. I don't care how it is. Any way you see that's available. If that means you're um, going to meet your county sheriff, just get to know the guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm a hunter, local hunter. Just wanted to say hi. Well, how do you feel about hunting? How do you feel about people owning, you know, hunting dogs? You know, right. is there... Is there any, can I invite you over to my property? I breed a couple dogs a year. I just want you to see what it looks like. So you have a familiarity with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you don't do that, you know. And this is, this is going to sound self-serving or maybe elitist from my point, because I was, I had the opportunity working in law enforcement uh, at the state level. I knew my sheriff and I knew things like that. I'll tell you what the observation was though. Uh, there were certain people in our community who had didn't just know the sheriff. Um, we lived in a small community, so it was it was much easier for us. But um, there were several people in the community that just had good standing with law enforcement because they made the effort to be cooperative, to be friendly, to to do things like that. And same mm-hmm. with commissioners and things like that. Um, and and what you're saying is true because with hounds and things, the time to meet the county sheriff is not when you got a problem. You know, you want to do it on the good days. Yeah, It's not when the crazy animal rights lady that lives, you know, in the city next door finds out you're breeding a dog, you know, and she goes and calls the sheriff says, this guy's abusing his animals. Exactly. You don't want to have to sit there and have to deal with that. Yeah. You want to say, these are the dog's, Listen, I take care of them. This is how this is where they're kept. They get exercise. You want them to know what the normalcy on your property is. Yep. If something happens and you heaven forbid they're called out there and he says, That's not doesn't look right. I've been out here before. This doesn't look like what I saw it like last time. Yeah. What's going yeah. on? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's one point. What's um, another point? Yeah, getting to know the county commissioners is uh-huh. another. Those are, you know, you don't have to go far. <laughs> right down the right. road from you. Um, and see where they stand on property rights. Uh-huh. How do they feel about 
the different, you know, are they wanting to do have more zoning, more regulations, mm-hmm. ordinances? You know, um, you'd be surprised at how many counties are putting regulations on even not in the cities, out in the county, right. how many dogs you can have. Uh, barking dog ordinances out in the county. Um, if you got a hound dog, 10 out of 10, I guarantee they're barking <laughs> at some point in the day, no doubt. Um, yeah. Is that going to be a problem for you at some point when one of these guys says, you know what, I got this, I got a guy that lives next to me and his dogs bark all night. I'm going to introduce this little ordinance here. We're going to take care of that. Right. Um, if you are not, and it sounds reasonable. It sounds I mean, it reasonable. Sounds, you know, um, and I think as hounds, hound owners, we have a responsibility. There are ways to uh, curtail that activity, train train against that. You know, a, a, a dog that's exercised and, and hunted, and they're not loud. They're, they're yeah. tired. And so, uh, but we have a responsibility there to be good neighbors as well as anything, but, um, I'll give you an example. I had, um, the mail driver comes in my driveway every day that has turned around on my barn lot. And I am concerned about the only time she ever sees my hounds is when they're tied up. She doesn't see them when they're running five or six miles in the morning, uh, hunting that night. Uh, when they're in the mountains of Virginia, things like that. So I take, and they're right there where she can see them and anybody can see them. So I, I want to make sure that I'm caring for every one of those hounds, that the area is clean, that there aren't hazards, you know, things like that. Those are things that we can do to protect ourselves in addition to going out there. You said something key right there is that they're tied up. Many yep. people that have hunting dogs time up. Yep. I mean, obviously they're running throughout the day when they're hunting, exercising. But that's a huge issue going along all almost all 50 states. There are people tethering bills. Tethering bills. Um, yep. And you know, maybe in those bills you can keep that dog out there for an hour, two at most, not overnight. Most of them say not overnight. You know, they change the length. Not unattended. If it gets above 85, you've got to, you've got to move them into climate control. If it gets mm-hmm. below 30, you got to move them into climate control, yep. you know? So, um, and that's, that's something that, that people need to wake up to. My audience needs to wake up to it. And this is why you need to get involved because those aren't happening at state levels. Those are your within your grasp, within your reach at your County level mm-hmm. The the animal extremists have, they're attacking on multiple fronts, but the place that they can be most effective is at the local county level and they can slowly chip away and regulate you out of, yeah, out of business. Yeah, so, I mean, how many people that are listening right now have actually called their county commissioner and said, Hey, have you ever went on a hunt? Mm-hmm. Come with me. Yeah. See what it looks like. It's not us out there just beating raccoons in the head with a shovel. You know what I mean? Right, right. Some people think it is very barbaric. They don't know anything except for what they've seen PETA releasing videos of, honestly. Yep. Um, 
how are they going to know without somebody informing them? And the best mm -hmm. person to inform them is the person that's doing the activity, right. which is the listeners here. Um, the other thing is how involved are people, you know, in this, this listening range right now, how involved are you in your youth communities? Mm -hmm. So the ag world has 4-H, it has FFA. There's still a good chunk of kids involved in those, but what's going on in your community that you can get involved with, with youth on hunting, fishing, you know, your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have something that's already going on, start something, go right. to the school and say, Hey, I'm a local hunter. I'd like to start some kind of program to teach kids hunter education. Um, you know, you, Every there are schools that want this. They just don't know where to start. And, and a lot of time, this is where a government has helped. Um, you know, in the state of Indiana, almost all 50 states have a hunter education requirement now. Uh, there is some form of a hunter education program in your state. And these wildlife agencies, the managers of the wildlife are required um, to, to teach that. Mm -hmm. You know, we were required to go into and teach so many hours of hunter education per year. This is where we as a citizen can get involved. If we care about this thing, I can tell you when I was an officer coming up with volunteer instructors to help me teach these classes. Uh, those people were gold when I found them, you know, that wanted to be involved and wanted to, to teach these kids man, they were, and, and you talk about having a good relationship with your local game warden, because that's always a big joke in the hound community is, you know, uh, when I see the game warden, how fast can I run type stuff. But, uh, um, if you want a real relationship with your local conservation officer, game warden, get involved and help them accomplish their mission mm -hmm. to teach those hunter education courses. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And you need to have a relationship with these younger generations. Yep. If they are wanting to be involved in this, a lot of youth do not have parents that do any hunting, any fishing, any outdoors activity, but maybe right. they're interested in it. Maybe they got a cousin or a friend that's interested in it and they see what they do. Yeah. They need a mentor. They need somebody that can teach them about this and mm -hmm. take them under a wing, take them on a hunting trip if their parents allow it. They may never get an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Take, invite dad and yeah. child or yeah. mom and child, you know, bring your wife along, bring your girlfriend along. Uh, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, taking, taking a woman and her kid out with them, you know, then, then do the honorable thing. It's not, I, I still believe in chivalry. Uh, I believe in principles in my life. I would never, um, uh, want to violate that for my own standards, but, uh, yeah, there's, there are ways, I guess I'm saying all that to say there are ways if you really want to be, to be involved, it's the time for talk is over. We got to get involved. We got to start doing some of this stuff. Yeah. Because when, when the time comes that we have, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and you look at America and you don't recognize it, if you're not getting involved, the only person you can point a finger at is yourself. I'm, I'm, 50, I'm 53 years old, and I think my opinion is 
uh, we've changed more in the last 10 years than we did in the previous 43. And the last five years matches the last 10. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing some crazy stuff now. And um, uh, we're, we're declining. We, we are, um, I don't want to say declining because I, I don't want to make it seem like it's a hope, hopeless cause, but we're, we're, we're declining rapidly. I'll, I guess that's the best way to say it. Yeah. Which is why people have to do something now. Yeah. They yeah. have to. If so a lot of, yeah. If the country decides to change, you are not your country. You are still your state. Each state mm -hmm. has its own rights and each county has its own rights. The most, the person that can make the biggest difference in your county is your sheriff. He is bound to protect that county and your rights. Your mm -hmm. county commissioners are to protect your county. Whatever your state decides, your county has the ability to protect itself. Mm -hmm. And your state has the ability to protect itself from its country. And your country has the ability to protect itself from the world. So think about, you know, if you don't want to get involved in your entire country issue, you don't want to run for office on Congress, <laughs> that's fine. But what can you do in your state? And yeah. then what can you do in your county? And what can you do in your town or your city? And it what can, can you do? What can you do in your own home? Yes. It starts right there. Yeah. Turn you off know. Facebook. Yeah. I hate yeah. to say that because we are very involved in social media. But if you're just yeah. getting on there for, you know, gossip time and all that, if you're not actually doing any solid work, then you're, yeah, you're ignoring your family. You're ignoring your friends. You're ignoring your communities. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, um, the campaign, the, the 60 days to save your country. Um, a lot of that is rooted in, from what I've read is related to the, the green new deal. Oh yeah. And, and, and that, how that is impacting every aspect of our, of our lives. Yeah. That green new deal goes hand in hand with those ESG scores. It goes hand in hand with the global governance type program from the, you know, the World Economic Forum, um, the United Nations. It's all one cohesive plan. It's just little pieces of it that are working mm -hmm. on different issues. Um, yeah. And that's, I don't think people have a clue what's coming down the pipeline if this doesn't stop. What's your prediction? If What's your prediction? Stop? Yeah, if it doesn't stop, if we sit back and continue to do nothing, which is an option, it's always an option. It's an option. We can sit back and do nothing. What is your prediction with full implementation of the Green New Deal? That depends on how long we're looking at. If you look at their 2030 uh, deadline, you're looking at a very reduced meat consumption. Um Think about how much meat you probably eat in a day. That's your monthly consumption. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at reduced use of electricity. You're saying um, you're saying that the monthly that what I, the meat I eat today is going to be my monthly allotment. Is that what you depending said? Depending on what you're eating a day, yeah, at least yeah. at the most. I'm not going to like that. If if they get what they want, right? It has to be a reduced meat consumption. 
Um, they see agriculture animals, you know, um, meat uh -huh. animals as a problem because of carbon and methane. Yeah. And we're not going to get into the science behind that, but it's completely debunked. Um, there's plenty of scientists that are on the opposition side of that. Um, but that doesn't matter. Um, well, I think you can't control people if they can make their own food. If they can grow, you know, if they can yes. raise cattle, you can't control them. We just had we just had John Bowen on a few weeks ago too, yeah. uh, talking about self-sustaining homesteading type stuff, and mm -hmm. and um, yeah, that was a good podcast. But uh, they don't want us growing our own food. The people that are pushing the the Green New Deal or or New Green Deal or whatever they're calling it, um, you know, they don't want us to be self-sufficient. They don't want me to know, yeah. have. I mean, I saw de declines in garden seed and. Um, you go, you go to the stockyard or you talk to your local beef grower and it's like, man, we can't find cows, you know, and, and it's all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And with all this going on with petroleum, that's greatly harmed the fertilizer industry. Yes. Um, you got a huge mega drought going out on the West. It's kind of like the perfect storm right now. Um, not for, you know, it's not perfect storm for them really. Um, right. I, I I do not want to think about what the this Green New Deal. But we have to. We and have to. I, I understand that. I try to look at the positive side because if you just stick on that negative, it is overwhelming. America has to wake up and they have to do it now. They have mm -hmm. to get involved in their communities. If they don't, you will not be eating what you will eat now. You mm -hmm. will likely not be driving a car. You, I mean... That's the reality. Um, I'm, I'm you will a, likely a, not be using your air conditioner in your house. Um, you'll be limited to what you can use. I'm going to lay something out that I kind of, uh, you know, through watching and looking, I'll lay out a, a scenario here and you tell me how far off base I am. You know, we saw, uh, we've seen a huge push in electric cars. Uh, we've seen a huge push in, uh, you know, just like I talked about the, the, uh, shortage of, of sustainable goods like garden seed and, you know, fuel taxes are high, you know, things like that. So this is what I've come up with and I'm, I'm trying not to be the conspiracy theorist. I'm just trying to pay attention to what's going on around me with the, with the rewilding project from the UN, um, and all the things that are going on. I've come up to the with the conclusion that the government is trying to force me to more of an urban center. Mm -hmm. a, an electric car will serve me very well there to mm -hmm. get to and from work. You know, if the grocery store. What's that? If they let you charge it. If they let me charge it, but one car per family, and then public transit. If I want to go see my mom and dad, that's you know two hours away. You take the public transit there, and the government will control that for you. Um, it, it's all coming together or all the signs are there that they're trying to come together on this. How far off base is that? I mean, it's completely on base because it's not like this is a conspiracy. You can right now go. It's on not a conspiracy. If no, you can see it, you can go onto the world economic forums website and read the hundreds and hundreds of pages of information they have about how they're implementing each one of these things. 
reduction in food, reduction in meat consumption, how they're implementing that reduction in, you know, carbon, which includes fossil fuels, Mm -hmm. how they're implementing that. It's not, it's not a surprise if you've looked at their information. Yeah. You know, this, they had, everybody talked about the UN agenda 2021. Our organization had written about it pretty extensively. They had that's a lot. That's where I got a lot of the information. Yeah. A lot of the leading up to all this was that point. Okay. We've got our, the the pre-plan is a Mm -hmm. nice way to say it. What we're going to do before we do what we're going to do. Yeah. And now we've got the UN agenda 2030, which is, they're a nice way of saying it. The great reset. You can go on Amazon right now. I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to promote Amazon, but um, Klaus Schwab, the leader of the World Economic Forum wrote a book called The Great Reset. Mm-hmm. And it's to it's it uses what happened with COVID as a, a a jumping point of well, this issue happened. Now we have a way to kind of roll out this stuff a little faster. So you just you see a lot of stuff changing very quickly right now. And it's because they're using these world events. I'm not saying they're causing these world events, but they're using these world events to kind of get their thing done faster. This is ramped up faster than they wanted it to. And they're going to go yeah. with it. Yeah. You don't, you never waste a good tragedy. It's the same exactly. with rights groups. They, you know, when the, when a hurricane comes, they use that to make every penny they can. Right. When something happens on a global scale and there's a global government that's trying to get a global, you know, Everybody, kumbaya, hand in hand. No more right. American citizens. No more Canadian citizens. We're all global citizens. When something like that happens, they will use that to further their initiative. We could we could probably have this conversation for three or four hours for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it. But yeah, it goes. I, the rewilding is just a just a one of those little chunks that goes along mm-hmm. with. Uh, if we can rewild those wild areas, you know, those areas that are rural communities, well, yeah. you can't have barbed wire fences if you got to have those deer in and out and those wolves in and out and the bear in and out and any other animals that they want to freely go here to there. Yeah. You know? uh, I A lot of people that I know, and myself included, I like to romanticize about the good old days. But uh, the good old days involved dirt floors and houses, no electricity. You know, the dogs ate what they could find. Um, you know, if, if we continue to allow this this agenda to be pushed forward, people are already complaining about the cost of dog food. Well, when you can't grow the ingredients to make the food, mm-hmm. you're going to have to come up with another option. You and, romanticize that time period and you may end up getting back to that point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not, there's certain creature comforts in my life that, that, uh, I'm glad that I have. Yeah. And, um, uh, I think I could go back and do it again, but do I want to? No. So, yeah. uh, it's not always the good old days. And, and the problem and is like me and you know, there are people that will survive. There's always going to be people that survive. We're Americans. A lot of people know how to hunt fish. Right. They can, you know, grow some chickens. 
there's a lot of people that won't. Yeah. They have to become reliant on the government if something happens. If the UN yeah. gets its way and all this does happen, people will have no choice. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to rely on that. They don't have an understanding of how to go and hunt food or how to raise, you know. You won't be able to buy the ammunition. Yeah. You know, do you know how to make an, an, an Ojibwa uh, bird trap? Do you know how to set a deadfall? You know, all the things that you're going to have to know in order to supply food because yeah. you're not going to be able to get the bullet to do it. Yeah. And I don't want people know? to think like this is the end of our country and everything's about to collapse. I'm not saying that. We're just I'm saying, saying wake up. Big, there's some big stuff happening. People yeah. have no clue. I mean. Right. Right. Well, we talk about the good old days. I want to get into our next topic and and spend a few minutes and just give us that 30,000 foot view about it. But um, the good old days. Let's talk about the American Prairie Reserve and the project they're working on uh, out in the Missouri breaks. Because on the outside looking in, uh, even people within the outdoor community have have embraced this concept that we're going to restore the American prairie, have free roaming bison. Uh, everything's going to be this utopia for wildlife. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the American Prairie Reserve, now known as the American Prairie, I guess it's just the AP now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really going on there, Teresa? So our involvement and most of our research into that has been up in Montana where they've purchased um, some grazing rights on public lands. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's Montana. <laughs> Montana yeah. people own land and they own lots of it and they own, you know, they may have cattle out there on grazing land on the BLM land. Um, and that's the issue is that a, their organization shouldn't legally be able to do that, mm-hmm. but people, if you know, you got a smooth talker and yeah. they're a smooth talking group that's there to say, we're going to fix the land. We're going to put these animals back out here and everything's going to be great. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, what a, that that's not generally how it works. It doesn't work that way because you're you're introducing an animal into land where another animal is. Mm-hmm. So we now have cattle. We don't have a lot of bison. In you know, there's not a, there are people that raise base bison. I don't want to say that there aren't. Right, but they're not. The cattle they're not, is our main source of beef, our our meat source in this. Country. They're tuberculosis free bison. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the ones that are yes, being, that yes. are being raised. Most people that are raising, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and they're yeah, so they're not spreading it to other animals, right? Um, you have a group that thinks it's great. Just we want the prairie to be back to the prairie, and that's I understand why they think that. I saw one. I saw one statement: restore it to Lewis and Clark days. Yeah, you know, I've I've read the 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 journals and things of Lewis and Clark. And, you know, I was enthralled. I was like, wow, wouldn't that have been cool to see that? It would have been cool to see, but we have people here now that we have to feed. <laughs> there you go. That's the problem. There, there are people that have to be fed. And mm-hmm. these ranchers have to have land to to raise these animals. Well, Where let's do it down in Kansas. these animals? Let's do it down in Kansas. Let's do it down in They're doing you know, it Texas. everywhere. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and there's still food shortages right now. We're trying to grow it everywhere. Now, one of the things I, I read from, from the article that you guys published to protect the harvest was the main thing is they're trying to stitch together this large contiguous uh, piece of property and what the they're trying to do. Corridor. So that's, so think about the top of Canada, the bottom of South America. Mm-hmm. They would like a, a, like a wildlife highway that goes from the top to the bottom to the east to the west. Any animal can migrate wherever they want and they're not going to be affected by human beings, by houses, mm-hmm. by, you know, cattle, <laughs> by right. wire fences. That's the rewilding thing. American mm-hmm. Prairie Reserve believes in that. Now, you look at them and you say, well, they're just putting some bison over here. And, you know, it's it's always just chipping off the dang block is what people don't see. Yes, it's a few bison here. There's a few bison there. But it ends up being a bigger initiative. You know, what's what about next when they go to, you know, the next state? And the next state and the right. next state. And it just we had bison in Indiana. Yeah. You know, it's on our state seal is a picture of a of a buffalo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on our state seal. But but the thing that the, aren't the ranchers pushing back on the whole bison bison thing because they they're not gonna it, it is gonna greatly affect their ability to have cattle. Disease free cattle. Yeah. They're, they're major carriers of tuberculosis. They are. And, and if they the yellow- think that those cattle or those bison are just going to stay where they want them to stay, that's not the reality. Cattle mm-hmm. ranchers manage their cattle. They're yeah. out there working the cattle every single day, 24-7, you know, every single day of the year. Is the American Prairie going to be out there with a bunch of cow- their little cowboys? Do they even have... <laughs> Are they going to be out there managing these? No, they don't believe in management of the species. They believe in rewilding. Let them do what they want. Grow to an extensive whatever they whatever the environment says they should have. Right. It's just like the wild horse issue out in the west. We'll just let them out there, and they can just keep populating. And if they're starving to death and dying of dehydration and and suffering, it's better than they're being cold. Or slaughtered right so see that big pandemic out there of a mess they're just horses literally starving to death yeah and that's okay because it's mother nature it's mm-hmm. rewilding the same thing will happen with the bison if they become overpopulated then you're going to see animals starving to death you're going to see disease run rampant and it's going to spill over into our ranchers mm-hmm there is a you, way to manage these animals. They don't believe in managing it. They believe in letting Mother Nature take over control again. And that means if you and I live in a rural area, we got a problem. We got to deal because, with the, We got to deal with the fallout. And we did I lose you there, Teresa? You're frozen on my screen. See if Teresa comes back. But basically what this ap thing is uh what we've got going on is is um in the greater yellowstone area ranchers are already seeing a um 
an increase in bovine tuberculosis and it's adding excess costs to already a financially strapped community there. So that's why I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to make sure that people were not being um, bought in or, or, or drawn in. Okay. There you go. There, there we go. go. I don't know what happened. There I was just go. covering, I was just covering some of the finer points of the re of the uh, APR deal. Uh, you know, I talked about Yellowstone and how the ranchers around Yellowstone are actually seeing more threats for for tuberculosis in their herds, which is costing them more money. They've got to draw blood, so it's adding financial burden to already their already slim profit margins. And um, you know, that's just right around Yellowstone National Park where there's a healthy tuberculosis. I'm sorry. Tuberculosis. Okay. Yes. I was like, yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't catch I'm you sorry. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for correcting me there. No, no worries. We're, we, we fought, uh, we're a bovine tuberculosis uh, free state, so I've got that term stuck in my head. But you're right, brucellosis. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. The problem is that that bill, the, uh, the Wildlife Corridor Act that was in, mm -hmm. introduced in 2019, did not pass. But last year they shoved it into one of those bills, one of those big spin bills, and it did pass. So obviously this stuff doesn't all just happen at once, but it is it is something that's going to be slowly implemented. Is there a place where people can go and see? I know you know the answer to this. I'm just trying to bring it out for obvious reasons. But where can we go and see how... Uh, who voted on this bill and how they voted? Uh, so the thing with that is we are a 501c3. So we can't tell people how to vote. Right. We can inform people of the issues and inform them of people that are involved in extremist activity, including legislature. Members. Mm -hmm. um, so we did not put that information on our website currently. But you can go to any of the legislative websites, um, any of the .govs that are involved in legislature. Yeah. So if somebody was going to go and search for how their representative voted on uh, the Wildlife Corridor Act, what would they look under? It would be very hard to find because the Wildlife Corridor Act isn't obviously. Um, it was buried in other it bills. It was buried, yes. And attached. Um, Yes. Okay. So. Probably a spending bill. It was. Yeah. And I can get that for you. I don't have it right off the top of my head. We actually have an article in the works on that one. So. Well, we need to pay attention to protect the harvest. Yeah. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, if you find it, Teresa, well, you can just get it to me and I'll, I'll um, attach it to the show notes for this. Mm -hmm. And. Um, probably ought to wrap this one up for now if, if you got anything you want to add uh i think we've i've beat people half to death already with uh, <laughs> they need to get involved in their community but i think they just need to be aware that a lot of the stuff that's affecting farmers and ranchers is going to affect them whether they know it or not it's it's not just us and them you know you all and well, there's the dog breeders over there that don't deal with hunting dogs. Right. It's, right. it's everybody has to be willing to work together on this stuff. 
You know, a lot of our a lot of our audience, we have several farmers and we have several ranchers that uh, are in our community and that listen to this podcast. But we also have several people who don't ranch, but they enjoy living out in wild places where ranches do exist. So this is this is my connection between and why we need to be paying attention and we need to be concerned. That small community that you're living in in uh, Montana is mm-hmm. supported by the ranching community. They spend a lot of money in your local community. And if that goes away, you're not going to be able to live there. There aren't going to be any resources for you to live there. There are not going to be any jobs. That rancher buys stuff at the at the hardware store. Maybe you work in the lumber yard there. You're not going to be able to, that store is not going to be able to stay open without that ranching community. Um, same goes for, you know, the maybe you're a gas station attendant or a mechanic, uh, an oil well worker, whatever it is, you're not going to have the resources to stay there. So this is why I wanted to talk to protect the harvest and showcase what you guys are doing. Cause we have to stand together. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, I just found that bill. Um, it's the okay. surface transportation reauthorization act of 2021. So S T R a, Okay. And that um, is a pretty, like, you know, the funding for yeah. these things to go through. So there are states that have already passed their own rewilding uh, bills, Florida, Virginia, Colorado. Uh, but obviously to get those to actually work properly, they have to be connected to other states. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the funding is there from our Congress and Senate, it's just a matter of them implementing those little Great. networks. Yeah. Great. Well, tell us again, go through protect the harvest again and tell us where your website is, how to sign up for the newsletter, of course, social media updates. Sure. Uh, just protect the harvest.com real easy to find. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter right there on the front page. Um, our Facebook page is just at protect the harvest. So real easy to find. If you just Google Protect the Harvest, you can find us everywhere. But we're on all the major platforms and even some of the alternative media platforms also. Um, and you're welcome to email us about anything, info at protecttheharvest.com. We have an 800 number. Uh, it's listed at the bottom of the website. You're free to call. You'll get me if you call. So any questions you got, anything you need us to research, we're, we're willing to do it and look into it if it's something that's going to affect food security or property ownership or animal ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know this was a heavy, heavy hour and 15 minutes here, but leave us with some op- optimism here. What are you seeing good in the community, Teresa? Why should we continue the fight? Uh, we don't have another option. <laughs> that's why. But there are... It's the only way we can we can do this is we have to work together. Uh-huh. I know there's a lot of mindset out there of people that are like, well, I'm going to start prepping and I'm going to prepare for myself and I'm going to go hide in the woods. I'm going to buy a cabin on 100 acres. All right. I don't need to see another soul. And whatever happens in this country happens. Yeah. That is that is not the way to go with this. That's not realistic uh, thinking. That's not realistic thinking. And you know, go out there and live in those woods by yourself for about 10 years and see how you feel. You know, you, we are human beings and we are products of our community. And you as a citizen of America 
have to give back to your community. This country was founded by the people and for the people. And we obviously are always thinking, well, the people that are, those people are politicians. Yeah. That's wrong. You are the people. You're the ones that are controlling what's happening. And we, unfortunately, are the only ones that we can blame is ourselves for what's happening in this country right now. Because we have not been involved. That's a somber thought. You know, when you got to look at yourself in the mirror, I can, I, I better just stop. Yeah, it's, you're, it's you're, a rough thought, but here's the thing. You can start today. You can start tomorrow. There you go. You yep. can, it's not like, well, I've just thrown my whole community and it's in the trash now. You can change it. And you can spread that change to other people. You know, staying informed, informing other people, getting involved with the community. That's, it's not like rocket science. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Inspire change, be the change. Mm -hmm. You, but it starts with us, the individual of making a conscious decision that I'm not playing the game anymore. I'm going to be the change. I'm going to live the life that I know that I was uh, uh, meant to live a free life. And mm -hmm. I think it's, I don't think it's a doom and gloom at all. There's freedom, but it takes, freedom doesn't come without a sacrifice, without a cost. But the reward for those sacrifices and costs at times uh, will, will be very satisfying and beneficial when you've achieved it. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, Hopefully. Teresa, I appreciate it. And keep up the good work at Protect the Harvest. Uh, I know a lot of our, our folks uh, keep an eye on what's going on over there and um, keep track. So the ranchers showed up huge this last year during uh, the Colorado push to ban mountain lion hunting on Senate Bill uh, 22 out there. I think it was 22. But uh, houndsmen, ranchers, and the ag community came together, and, and it can be done. Don't just throw your hands up out there and, you know, think that, well, that's a ranching issue. No, it's all our issue. We're as free Americans. So thank you, Teresa. Hey, thank you.